For me, it was always, how can I connect with the students that I serve in order to engage them, in order to help them reach their maximum potential? And I would watch students come to classroom with their teachers, and there was teachers coming in, and it was doing something around Shakespeare, and the kids like, oh, they didn't like Shakespeare. And the teachers like, these kids don't want to learn. But, I mean, it was like that whole thing, they can't, they want to. And I'm looking at them like, I'm bored watching you teach. So I'm bored. <laughs> like, I would be yeah. so bored. And I'm like, I know they bored. And I'm watching them like, first and foremost, I always knew that every child has brilliance and genius. And so that although what you're teaching may not be engaging, doesn't mean they can't learn. I began using Tupac to teach. Wow. Then I began using Queen Latifah's Ladies First in a social studies class because somebody was talking about Sojourner Truth and the students were like, who is this Sojourner Truth? Like, ain't I a woman? Like, they were just like falling apart. I was like, oh, I remember seeing that clip in Ladies First. Wow, mm -hmm. why don't we connect that? Wow, yeah. the Lead Better Act and Women's Acts Rights. Let's connect that. And it just started blossoming. And someone says, this is cultural responsive. This is hip hop pedagogy. And so for me, I didn't know I was doing it. I was just trying to connect with students. And I saw how when I did do that, working in collaboration with the teachers, how the engagement was different, how they were more in, how the questions, how they had, they were more in tune. And I was tapping into their cultural knowledge because oftentimes we hear like students, they don't have the background knowledge. And I would say they have background knowledge. Yeah. We have to tap into their knowledge and make yeah. the connection. And when we brought that in, it was like the whole room would just change. It was like a vibe. It was like, okay, this, we're on to something. What's going on, y'all? Welcome to Help Students Win, where we talk about all things education. My name is Jordan Davis. I'm a professional speaker, founder of JD Speaks, and your podcast host. And today, we have an extremely special guest. We have Dr. Joketta Johnson. She is an educational consultant and founder of Cypher for Change, LLC. She's an equity specialist at Baltimore County Public Schools Department of Equity and Cultural Proficiency. She's a professor, education technology specialist, and one of the most influential teachers that I've had in my academic career. Dr. Johnson, it is so great to have you on the show today. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited. Just let me say, as an educator, as a former teacher, I am so proud of you. I just, I just had to get that out. Like, I feel like a proud parent, right? So I'm excited to be here and Let's just talk about education. Yeah, let's do it. And more specifically, talk a little bit about hip hop pedagogy. Oh, cool. Now, um, I know the Super Bowl just passed us and we had some hip hop infused into there. Um, so I would love to just get your thoughts on the halftime show. What, what did you, how did you perceive it? What do you think about it? Oh, my God. I just loved it. Like, given that last year was the 50th anniversary of hip hop. And then we had Usher come and do his thing and just seeing all the different infusions of hip hop mixed with Las Vegas and the skating. I mean, he brought all different genres of hip hop in there from different regions. I think it was amazing. And then I understand it was like the most watched Super Bowl ever. And I don't know if that's because mm -hmm. of also Las Vegas, but then you just had Usher in there who just came off his residency. So yeah. It just lets you know that hip hop is global. Like it is, it, everybody's impacted by hip hop, whether they believe it or not. That's right. Yeah, it's the number one genre in the world. You know, we saw Ludacris uh, <laughs> and and Lil John on the stage. That was super cool to see. And mm -hmm. if I and if I'm being honest, when I first watched the performance, 
I was a little underwhelmed. Like I wasn't mm-hmm. moving in my seat in the same way I was even compared to last year when Rihanna uh, performed. Yeah. And then even before that, we had 50 Cent and Eminem. Mm-hmm. And so we've seen hip hop the past yeah. couple of years yeah. uh, kind of spearheaded by Jay-Z mm-hmm. being in charge of the Super Bowl halftime show. Mm-hmm. It's super cool to see. So Yeah. So it, it, it's for some of like it was a little slow. So I was like, okay, give him a second. And then it just like, shh, right? Yeah, so, I right. Could, so it was amazing. And as a person who is a alum of an HBCU and a marching band, to see the marching mm-hmm. band piece in there too, like it just, I was at home. I, I, was, I was at home. And the roller skates. I mean, come on now. Yeah, yeah that's. A, I'm, I'm sure that's a Super Bowl first. I'm sure we have not seen that uh, at any Super Bowl. Uh, and I don't know if we'll see that again either because, you know, that's pretty yeah. unique to us. Yeah, so, so that was cool I, okay. And, the, and the, the piano with Alicia Keys? Huh? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. but everybody talking about Brilliant. them socks though. Everybody talking about the little socks. We gonna the, the socks. <laughs> yeah, we we not even gonna uh, unpack <laughs> that one. We we gonna let people uh, Google that if they missed it. Um, Check out but, the but I would love. Yeah, yeah, I would love to ask you too. Like, what is because we're getting into hip hop pedagogy, mm-hmm. and I want to know from you what is your earliest memory uh, regarding hip hop? Like, what is your earliest hip hop memory? Like, when did you first fall in love with the genre? Wow, so. I, I think my very first memory of hip hop has to be the cliche of, and I don't mean it by cliche, but it was the first commercialized one, which was the Sugar Hill Gang, right? That was the first commercial record that was sold. Being here in Baltimore, like that was it, like because it made it was the first record. However, I think I began falling in hip hop, falling in love with hip hop when I start seeing a lot of the females also come into it. So I love the, you know. Um, Sugar Hill Gang and like the message, like all those pieces when it started being commercialized and started hitting more on radio. But then I really started loving hip hop. Another thing when I started seeing more females in the game, like when you were hearing, you know, the Roxanne Shantae's and, you know, the Queen Latifah's and even our early on, like what I think about hip hop is being in Baltimore, I didn't really understand the history of it until later on when we learned about there were rappers before Sugar Hill Gang that weren't getting, you know, the same you know, type yeah. of um, publicity. But yeah, so I think that was my first love. Her, his Sugar Hill Gang, to this day, it's just like, it's like the anthem. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, that's right. But there are other ones that came before that that laid the foundation for them, but that's the anthem. So that was the kickoff for me. And I'm sure a lot of listeners don't know that, or, or probably have never even heard of uh, Sugar Hill Gang. I know you put me onto them yeah. when I took a class with you in high school. Like I had <laughs> no clue that they existed or like really where hip hop was was born right. out of. So that was a, a crucial learning for me too. And then what a lot of people don't realize that actually was the first um, Saturday Night Live, the first group to perform. One of the first groups to rap was called Shy Rock and it was female mm. rap artists. And, and they were the first ones to perform on Saturday Night Live like in early 1976. So if you look back, uh, before yeah, it, even you know, earlier than 1980 even yep. before right that like it was it was that group of like i didn't know all of that but that came with learning the history and i think that's part of the work in any type of education is learning the history like where we came from how did we get there because so so often it's missed we just show up and like oh what is this thing called hip-hop like and yeah. then oh okay you know and i think about like when we talked about like it's a hip-hop in class we talked about queen latifah for example people didn't even know that yeah, queen yeah. Latifah was a rapper they were like they just knew her from the movie <laughs> from acting yeah that's oh, right yeah. like she was a rapper yeah she was a rapper first queen latifah you know so just those little things are so important about understanding our history and culture especially in as what timing um right now being those black history month 
Yeah, that's right. Um, so thank you for giving kind of like that backdrop for folks. Yeah. Um, I want to get into kind of the pedagogical approaches around mm -hmm. hip hop. And mm -hmm. Really, I, I started to learn, like my first introduction to teaching practices in general was through you, because you always <laughs> talked about trauma-informed pedagogy, inquiry-based learning. I was fascinated by the idea <laughs> of being able to learn through questions and how questions that come from students can mm -hmm. guide learning. So I want to know uh, from you, why hip hop pedagogy? Like, why are you, why do you use hip hop as an avenue uh, for this type of engaged learning as opposed to trauma informed pedagogy, inquiry based learning? Or do you see that kind of integrated into hip hop pedagogy? Well, I think it, it it's not necessarily one or the other. They're all infused. Um, for mm -hmm. me, I didn't even realize I was doing what is known as hip hop pedagogy until I was reading something like, oh, this is a thing. For me, it was always how can I connect with the students that I serve? in order to engage them, in order to help them reach their maximum potential. And for me, it started being in a, as um, I was a school librarian and also was a teacher record, taught many classes. And I would watch students come to classroom with their teachers. And the thing that literally I remember, like, you remember, you see that light, I remember the moment. There was teachers coming in and it was doing something around Shakespeare and the kids like, oh, they didn't like Shakespeare. And the teachers like, these kids don't want to learn. But, I mean, it was like that whole thing, they can't, they want to. And I'm looking at them like, I'm bored watching you teach. So I was bored. Like, I would yeah. be so bored. And I'm like, I know they bored. And I'm watching them like, first and foremost, I always knew that every child has brilliance and genius. And so that although what you're teaching may not be engaging, doesn't mean they can't learn. So how can I how can I engage them? How can I make something exciting? And so it started with, I remember watching a TED Talk around hip hop and Shakespeare. Mm. And I was like, oh, and I remember being in the library and I go to the shelf and there was a book called The Rose That Grew From Concrete. And it was the autobiography of Tupac Shakur. And I was like, Tupac wrote poetry? Because every image that I heard about Tupac was negative. Like I knew he rapped and I liked the stuff, but it was all the stuff about that other side of Tupac, which we know he has multiple, there's multiple perspectives around Tupac, right? But he also, he struggled with, he had these multiple identities, right? Because yes, he was this image that was in the media, but he was also an activist. He was brilliant, right? And he brilliant. was right here to Baltimore. So when I read his book, I'm like, oh my God, he is, um, I had a whole different perspective because yeah. the only narrative that I had was what was fed to me through the media. Yeah, and yeah. that was like, oh my gosh. So I began using Tupac to teach. Wow. Then I began using Queen Latifah's Ladies First in a social studies class because somebody was talking about Sojourner Truth and the students were like, who is this Sojourner Truth? Like, ain't I a woman? Like, they were just like falling apart. I was like, oh, I remember seeing that clip in Ladies First. Wow, mm -hmm. why don't we connect that? Wow, yeah. the Led Better Act and Women's Acts Rights. Let's connect that. And it just started blossoming. And someone says, this is cultural response. This is hip hop pedagogy. And so for me, I didn't know I was doing it. I was just trying to connect with students. And I saw how when I did do that, working in collaboration with the teachers, how the engagement was different, how they were more in, how the questions, how they had, they were more in tune. And I was tapping into their cultural knowledge because mm -hmm. oftentimes we hear like students, they don't have the background knowledge. And I would say they have background knowledge. Yeah. We have to tap into their knowledge and make yeah. the connection. And when we brought that and it was like the whole room would just change. It was like a vibe of like, okay, this, we're on to something. And then I start yeah. reading more and learning more. And then I'm like, it's been done in math. It's been done in science. Hip hop mm. is everywhere. And I think for me, it's a way of being just like equity work. 
it's a way of being, it's not something that I do. And so it just was a natural fit for me and for the students that, um, that I work with. So that's how I began kind of doing it, not knowing I was doing it, and then start mm -hmm. learning more and then realize how I had even been miseducated about what it is and what it isn't. Mm, and then that's yeah. how I began to just go in deeper and deeper into the work. Yeah. And I love how you started by saying that before you even got to like the pedagogical practices, you had to view your students differently compared to how other educators viewed students. And so I've even heard you say tapping into students' cultural capital. Yeah. And so seeing students as experts in the learning environment, that's one of the main things that uh, in my work with educators, uh, you know, around pedagogy, getting educators to understand their colonized thinking about what yeah. expertise is, about what capital is, and having students see themselves as experts through their lived experiences and seeing lived experience as expertise that students can bring into the learning environment is so key before you even get started with this work. Absolutely. And I think that's just like an education in general, because like you said, our, when I decided I had was, you know, teach at the university, do all that stuff. Before I even went to get my doctorate, I said, I'm not going to do that because of educational haze. And I did say that. Um, mm. <laughs> but it was my passion for understanding more around hip hop and curriculum that drove me to go back to school. And then when I went back and worked on my doctorate and we spent more time because mine is in curriculum and instruction and digging mm. deep and recognizing how curriculum really is grounded in this dominant culture and wasn't even set up for black and brown children. Yeah. And then once I began peeling back the layers, it began to make sense to like, oh, this is why such and such. This is why curriculum looks like this. This is why this. And we, the understanding of education versus schooling. And so that traditional now understanding of education, you come to school, you sit down, it's the banking model. I am the expert as the teacher. I'm just going to pour into you. You raise your hand, you regurgitate back to me. You sit up straight, you follow directions. We're good. You get a grade and we move on. I mean, that's basically how it is. Unless you got those teachers who are like, let's, you know, be in interactive. I want to hear what you have to say. And so when you realize that students have knowledge and they're, like you said, their cultural capital, like their knowledge is currency. Their experiences is currency. We should be co-constructing. I never felt as I was an expert in a space. Never. Because I always knew, I, I always wanted to be a trans, not a transaction, but this interaction of co-construction of knowledge. You have just as much knowledge as I do, if not more in certain areas. How can I learn from you? And that's a lot as an educator coming from the, from the kids and say, I don't have all the answers. I don't know it all. I don't even know if this lesson is going to go right today. <laughs> that's a lot, right? Because you have to be vulnerable. But I think that's part of the teaching space that I'm still learning and I can learn from you. And I think that's part of the other piece why I love about hip. But that could be with any, just teaching in general, even before <laughs> hip hop pedagogy, trauma enforced, whatever that. I have to know my role and who I am. And um, may he rest in peace, Dr. Acer Hill used to say, we teach our culture first and then curriculum. I need to recognize my own culture. And culture is more than just race, because often we don't feel comfortable saying race. So we've used culture as race. But it's all of those other identities that make it up, my, my own beliefs, my values. And that shows up first. So if a teacher believes I am the steward of knowledge and you are, that's what I'm going to do. And so I think yeah. that's so important. You got to check into yourself first. Yeah, that's right. That reminds me of a quote from uh, Dr. Chris Emden, who uh, teaches. Yeah, I love Dr. Uh, Emden. He says all the time, 
you can't be culturally relevant to your students until you're culturally uh, in tune with yourself first. Yeah. So you have to be culturally responsive to yourself before you can be culturally responsive to your right. students. I just think that's such a you know, clear depiction of what you just described. And I think that's important when we're talking about education. Um, the title of my dissertation was The Miseducation of the Educator. And mm. it was focusing on the impact of culturally of equity professional learning on developing culturally responsive hip hop educators. And one of the things I started with the miseducation of the educators, because we have been miseducated as educators, especially about so many things. Like what is it to be culturally responsive, right? Oftentimes when I was introduced to culturally responsiveness, it was always around culture as we, if we do these strategies for these kids, generally black kids, black and brown kids, this will happen, whether it's let's use hip hop, let's use this, 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 but it was always framed in a deficit mindset, right? Like if we do this, it will get them engaged. When that's not what it was even intended to be for when you look at Geneva Gay, Gloria Lanza Billings, who who are the ones who, you know, frame those, those theories and pieces. And so when people go to use things like hip hop or trauma and force or what, and the others, which all for me fall under the umbrella of equity pedagogies, how can I create these spaces? Through often starting with looking at a deficit, how can I fix the student? How can I use this for the student without first seeing how I may even be the trigger in the trauma? <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> and so again, you got to check himself first, and it's ongoing checking in. Yeah. Going. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Um, I want you to talk about why hip hop pedagogy is important in this moment. You know, we find ourselves in an election year. Hmm. There's a lot of buzz talk in K through 12 <laughs> about social emotional learning, right? And the importance uh -huh. of that. Um, we have a lot of global conflicts that students are personally impacted by, and they're bringing those into the classroom in ways that they haven't prior. And so why is hip hop pedagogy important in this moment? And how hmm. can it be used as a tool to engage students in challenging conversations around difficult topics. Well, what I would say is, before I use hip hop pedagogy or anything, um, one of the things is that making sure as an educator, am I comfortable, am I ready to do this? Because again, what happens is whether it's hip hop, whether like we talked about trauma-informed, whatever the case, the pedagogy or the buzz thing is, sometimes it becomes like the hot, it's the thing that's hot right now, right? And we know in education, what is hot right now? SEL is hot, you know, whatever. But oftentimes, what I would suggest is first checking in to see where I am myself and am I ready to have these conversations, whether it's right um, and what role I play in it. When I look at things like hip hop pedagogy, first of all, hip hop, I want my educators to educate themselves a little bit about what it is. Because what happens is we will, and depend on who is my audience, and is hip hop, I think hip hop, hip -hop is global. Um, but it doesn't necessarily mean that every student wants to listen to or be engaged in in that way. So I need to know who my audience is, who's in front of me, even though I think any student would be engaged with it because it also depends on how the teacher is delivering the content, as yeah. we know, right? So yeah, it's yeah. also the message of how we're delivering content. Um, I think it's important, one, because hip hop, first of all, is a global, is a, is a culture. People always focus on the music, right? So recognizing mm -hmm. that hip hop is a global phenomenon, Hip hop yeah. is rooted in social justice. It's grounding in how it was founded is in a social justice lens, um, um, underserved population. And so it's already there. Every element you need is there. When you look at the elements of hip hop, DJing, b-boying, turntables, um, beatboxing, graffiti, 
One of the key elements that's also there that we don't talk about is knowledge of self, which is an element also of hip hop. And so it gives us the opportunity to, again, to identify who we are in the work, in the world, as well as our students. Our students are already are listening to, and depending on what students we're talking about, are already impacted and influenced by hip hop. Every person in this world is, whether they want to admit it or not. Do we just yeah. watch the Super Bowl? You look at your commercials. I think about one of the first commercials that used hip hop back in the 70s was a Flintstones commercial. And Fred and Bonnie was doing hip hop and rapping. So one of the wow. things- We're going to have to dig that one up from the okay. archives. I didn't know that one. Right, right. Yeah. And so again, what I'm saying is we have to understand, we talk about like right now in this world, the other part of what hip hop is, is how it's also been commercialized. So here's an opportunity to talk about commercialism because now it's making money. Because when it first started that way, that's not what it was about. But somehow mm -hmm. or now it's like, oh, we can make money off of this. So the message ends up changing. The focus gets some changing. What we see on TV, we assume that's the only type of hip hop. There's various genres of hip hop. And so I think all of those lend themselves to teaching, right? There's there's um, parts of the country where they're using hip hop for their own social justice in Gaza and Pakistan and Africa, all around the world. If you go and do hip hop global, you will see how they're using it as a message. One of the first messages from hip hop was called the message. You have fight yeah. the power, you have self-destruction, like all of these tools for teaching. Um, and then the new things that came out since the George Floyd incident, um, how do we use those pieces? Like, So I think it is it lends itself to teaching any content. Like I said, when you mentioned Dr. Chris Emmon, that's math and science. What's the science behind yeah. it, right? Yeah, he's you got know? a STEM background. Yeah, yeah that's right. right. Right, so like, hip hop like all of that you're only limited by your imagination that's the part about saying hip hop is a way of being because hip hop is about creativity and thinking like there is no box I, say, I think like there is no box not outside of like there is no box and so I think that's the important part so right now is a moment where how can we use this global phenomenon that is reaches every aspect of your life, whether you want to believe it or not, whether it's the clothes you're wearing, the language you're hearing, the movies you're watching, to engage our students in conversations related to how do we challenge the status quo? How yeah, do we improve right. the injustice, right? That's that's yeah. why it's so important. Yeah, and the, and the challenging of the status quo is very much related to this idea of critical pedagogy, mm -hmm. right? And so, allowing students to think in systems and to mm -hmm. see how systems and not just individual people and individual points in history, being able to connect different periods of time and being able to see trends of how our systems, a lot of them are caste systems. A yeah. lot of them are systems that uh, underserve historically marginalized groups. And so mm -hmm. students not just saying, you know, I'm, I'm in this math class to learn uh, geometry or, or I'm in this math mm -hmm. class to learn algebra but I'm actually using what I'm learning in the classroom, in algebra to create change, to create the world that I want to see, mm -hmm. right? And it's this understanding that a lot of students, um, well, I would say that a lot of educators are teaching under the pretext that the world is fine how it is. Mm -hmm. And critical pedagogy is flipping that on its head and said, no, there's work that still needs to, to mm -hmm. be done here. And so mm -hmm. um, how are we inviting students to ask questions that they have about uh, what it even looks like to be a biochemist mm -hmm. uh, as as a student that 
might have multiple uh, identities that have been marginalized historically. Yes. What does it look like, uh, you know, 10 years from now, 15 years from now? What is the history behind it? What are the strides that people have had to make in order to get to the point to where they are now? And so uh, we're talking about hip hop pedagogy, but you said it kind of applies to teaching overall. Yeah. And so that's this idea around critical pedagogy, like the world that we live in now is not sufficient. And mm -hmm. how can students participate in designing solutions for the problems in the world that they want to solve through the the skills that they're learning in class and an entry point to it can mm -hmm. be uh you know hip-hop an entry point to it can be even just popular media and popular culture you mm -hmm. know in general so absolutely and, and i think you bring a really good point is because it's really about the skills because many of the jobs that don't even exist right now right so what i'm going to school for right now there's certain jobs like they're always going to be but there are jobs that exist that didn't even exist three years ago that now exist this year right and so five years from it's gonna be another set of skill jobs that don't even exist so what skills problem solving is a skill that goes regardless of whatever field right those some of those soft skills the critical thinking um being collaborative am i able to work across groups right diverse groups right am i able yeah. to have um understand multiple perspectives you know all yeah, of those analysis things. skills yeah that's right all of that goes regardless of career, whether I am working at the McDonald's or I am running a Fortune 500 company. Yeah, right? that's right. All of those skills work, right? Like, and so I think that that criticality is really important. And we have to, like you said, some teachers realize, think that, oh, everything's fine the way that it is. And sometimes not putting everything on the teacher, but sometimes it's whatever curriculum they're given. So that's why it's also important that when we look at education and it's more than just who's in front of the room is who's delivering the curriculum. There's so many layers and nuances to it. But I do love the fact that you mentioned like how we are part of the system, right? Because systems mm -hmm. and structures, because oftentimes people are like, well, when is this, the system going to do something? When is da, 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 da? And when we, depending upon what systems and structures, I say, well, part of it, some of we are part of the system, the right. systems and then their structures. And so depending upon yeah. where you are, it can be daunting. So that's where I was told teachers, like, what do I have and administrators? What can I do in my circle of influence? Because I may not can knock down everything that's up at the top, which seems so overwhelming. But in my circle, what I can do is, what am I teaching my students? How am I interacting mm -hmm. with my parents in my community? Am I standing up and speaking out against something that I see? Um, am I challenging status quo? Am I bringing in different new ideas? What do I have control over in my circle of influence? And that's the same thing we talk about, like looking at hip hop, right? Who am I in this work? Knowledge of self. What can I do? How can I collaborate? How am I co-constructing with others in yeah. the spaces? Yeah, that's so good. That's so good. Um, can you talk through some examples of how you integrate hip hop into your own teaching? Like, what does it actually look like from class assignments to class discussions? Like, what does it look like? In, in oh, and, and it, it's it's it can vary from space to face because sometimes for me, it's also a way of teaching. So it's not necessarily just the assignment, but how I am teaching and delivering the content. Right. So I'm that person who, for example, one of the things I would feel like is about building relationships with students. Right. I feel like how do we build community in a space? Music is one of those things that builds, I feel like can, can build community. Um, so one of the things I usually do like in the first day of classes, I always play some of my favorite music. And then I ask my students like, hey, tell me what are some of your favorite songs? And if there's a song that you listen to, like when things get kind of rough, what song would that be? And mm -hmm. then I have students generate and we create a class playlist. 
And then we begin having conversations around the songs. And you, you learn a lot about people about what they listen to. Yep. And and their artists and who did you pick this and why did you like this and then we create this class playlist then I can have them write about it. Now that I'm looking at writing samples because oftentimes a teacher come like oh I gotta get this assessment done and this and I and I get it and understand it but me think like there is no box. If I ask you to tell me about your playlist and then I ask you to write about it now I'm getting a writing sample. If I ask you to come let's come in front of the class and we're gonna talk about it. Now I'm giving you an opportunity to speak in front of the class. So all these things, I think sometimes we look as teaching as this, this is over here, this is over there, when it's all infused. And all of this is social and emotional learning. And I think that's the piece too, because the buzzwords, it's all about, again, commercializing everything. So now this SEL program, we're going to do this SEL. Now this SEL time. SEL should be happening all the time. The moment mm-hmm. I'm taking a look at myself and I look at that playlist and I'm like, I like this song. And when I hear this song, it makes me feel this way. And I know that if I'm feeling such and such, I need to do that's SEL. I don't need to have a moment that says, if I now I'm doing SEL, now I'm doing equity, now I'm doing job in form, right? So it's yeah. that because what happens is feel like it's one more thing and then I can take something off the plate and not do it. But when it's all happening at the same time, it's just natural and it's organic. That's how teaching should be, right? But it's how we are conditioned. now. Yes, the siloing of not only our departments and our schools and our districts, but also how we go about structuring a classroom. It's it's (laughs) teachers bringing their own anxieties and traumas from their educational experiences and being like, okay, I'm going to put things in boxes because that's neat and tidy for me mm-hmm. when a lot of students don't learn that way, right? Absolutely. And so it's, again, when you when you refine your teaching practices and you implement things like hip-hop pedagogy, things like trauma-informed pedagogy, you, you yourself as an educator are transformed by it. Mm-hmm. And you are moving out of your comfort zone in a way that, you know, your students see it too. They mm-hmm. see the effort that you're making to see them as whole, Mm-hmm. people and now you're not only improving the teaching but you're improving the relationship and it's like this beautiful reciprocal uh relationship between uh your teaching practices and also the relationship that you build with your students and then the relationship that students are building with each other as they hear each other talk about music as absolutely. they hear each other talk about the different aspects of their lives that are impacted by it absolutely and that's about building community in the classroom right because so often um and and again like with many educators it's way it's also delivered to them is how it's supposed to be, right? Because as an educator, mm-hmm. this is how, whether well, it's my pre-service programs, which we can talk about that at another time, because sometimes it's like, how am I taught to teach, right? right. And most of our, and if we understand our, most of our pre-service programs and most of our students, our, our, our student population is mostly students of color, black and brown students, right? And so, but our teaching force is still predominantly white women. Mm-hmm. So we need to have those kind of conversations. How does that impact also who is teaching students? Not that you cannot, but there's a whole different level of dynamics and understanding and packing of that. What do pre-service programs look like? Doing my research around cultural responsiveness, most pre-service programs don't spend a lot of time around cultural responsiveness and the deepness because you have to be comfortable about having those true conversations around culture and not just culture... The, identity but also race Hmm. right we don't feel comfortable talking about race and then we have teachers are coming into school systems who for many times their identities are so much different multiple from the students that they serve and with the best intentions you get this cultural disconnect 
Yeah. And so, and then I'm told now we're going to do ESSEL because what is SEL intended for? To teach kids how to breathe and monitor themselves. But SEL also first checks in with adults too. Adults don't generally do the work that they need to do through SEL because part of SEL yeah. says also as the educator, have you done your SEL work? Yeah. <laughs> but we usually yeah. skip past that part like, <laughs> Jordan, you're having a rough day. I need you to breathe. Are you and like, Again, maybe I'm the trigger. Maybe right. as the teacher, I could be the trigger. So I think that's the part as well, like learning. But you, that requires some additional work on the educator. And they're all crammed with curriculum. And that's why, because we're trying to get to outcomes. We're trying to get a certain yeah. test score. We're trying to make sure, you know, we pass this, we do this, whether it's AP, GT, whatever the case may be, get these scores, standardized tests. It's about outcomes, outcome, outcomes. And one of the things I always try to get educators to realize, I understand all of that, trust and believe. But we also remember that every piece of data point, when you're looking at that, is a tie to a human being, to a student. That data point mm -hmm. is a tie to a human. Yeah. We're not producing right. digits. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. I want to, yeah, I want to get back to a point that you were starting to tease out a little bit earlier. Uh -huh. I actually, I was in a faculty meeting a couple of days ago. And we were talking about uh, performance as pedagogy. Mm -hmm. And obviously hip hop and performance are very aligned. And uh, the, the speaker in this meeting, she was talking about performance being used as topic, method, and then also presentation, right? And so performance as the topic. So we can treat hip hop as the topic. We can critically engage song lyrics. We can critically analyze and be able to connect what artists are saying and the ways that they are presenting their art to policy, to government, right? To uh, social trends and kind of like sociological frameworks, right? So hip hop can be the, the topic. It could also be the method. So yep. what does it look like for students? Instead of giving a 10 minute PowerPoint presentation, mm -hmm. they turn that into a free write. Yep. Like they turn that into a poem. They turn yep. that into a rap song that they, you know, mm -hmm. put together. They a create art. <laughs> their own album. Right, exactly. They right. turn into an A&R right. and they put together an album that is based on the assignments that they've had throughout the entire semester, right? Like right. really getting students to be creative in how right. they, um, you know, as the method for learning. Absolutely. And then also performance as presentation. Yes. And yeah. so when you go to present about your research as an educator mm -hmm. at a conference mm -hmm. or when you have a workshop on these types of things, right? When you go to mm -hmm. share about uh, the, the pedagogical work that you do mm -hmm. in relation to the topic that you're teaching, mm -hmm. thinking, you know, again, outside of just the mm -hmm. traditional presentation. I've even seen people, I heard about a student um, at Georgetown who delivered his uh, dissertation through, uh, through a comedy uh, performance. Right. So I, they had like a whole comedy jam and like people were laughing and it was great. But they, you know, the people that were there also learned a ton from it. And so seeing performance as, uh, again, the topic, the method for learning and then also how we present the learnings is something that really stuck with me. And it seems like it's really aligned with what you're talking about. Absolutely. It's funny you should say that because and I believe it's Dr. Toby Keith. He did his dissertation that he, he we even talk about methodology, like research methodologies using hip hop. So he mm -hmm. when he did his research, he used blackout poetry to black out his qualitative mm -hmm. to create his research methodology. And his dissertation was spoken word poetry. And he did it at Bus Boys and Poets in D.C. Oh, 
Right. Uh, so, so that's what we talk about, right? So again, it's like changing what it is, right? Because there is a narrative behind hip hop. So we have to talk about that too, right? When we talk about change the status quo, because oftentimes when I ask students, because I do youth engagement too, as well as edu- 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 working with educators, like, what is you, what do you think about when you first come to think about hip hop? And so most times it's going to be rap. You may hear words like gangster. You may hear violence, misogyny, the, the profanity. You hear all these things. And m- multiple things can be true at the same time. But there's also the gifts, the arts, all these positive things that come out of that as well, right? And so I think that's why sometimes it's also people are hesitant. When we talk, I'm going to use hip hop in my classroom. They really go to rap lyrics and cursing. And I think that's the first thing that, because they don't understand the full complexity that hip hop is a global phenomenon and culture. Hip hop is the culture and rap is the music. Mm. And yeah, and even that, even that is the conversation, right? Like the things that are mainstream are often the things that are misogynistic or even transphobic sometimes in hip hop, like these different things that are coming up. Why is that? Like, why do we have like literally hundreds of rappers throughout history, male and female, that have mm-hmm. talked about uh, social change, that have talked mm-hmm. about uh, policy, that have talked about healthcare, that have talked about uh, taxes, like literally like these social systems that we have, mm-hmm. we have rappers that have prioritized that in their mm-hmm. music. Why are those things not mainstream, right. right? And getting students, you know, to talk about those things too. And we have hip hop artists who talk about those things now, but it's not often the mainstream was the undercut because then we had those conversations like we used to do in class about why is that? What? Because this is selling. Who has the message? Who's controlling the message? Yeah. And right. why are they controlling the message? Do you know about this artist? Well, I wonder why. Right. Let's talk about that. Why do you think that's not selling? Who is the face of it? What is language used? That? What language is used? Why are we using those words? But we don't hear it in this. And I think that's the that's the criticality. That is asking the questions. That is you know pushing students to really think. Right. Because you are what you consume. Mm-hmm. Right. We are what we consume. So if only thing that's what I'm hearing on the popular radio stations when I'm and now that there's, you know, so much social media and I'm not anti-social media, but I can really silo what I'm listening to, who I'm listening to, what I'm reading. I can really, really silo myself. And that's all that I know. So where is the education? And I think that's where the role of the educator is as well. But that means that I have to be tapped in a little bit, too, into that culture. Yeah. I don't have to yep. know it all. I don't have to know everything, but I have to be willing to tap in and figure out what I can do and how can I begin asking those questions. Yeah, yeah. And this conversation reminds me of a book that I've been listening to called A Pedagogy of Play. Mm-hmm. And it talks about playful pedagogy and how it is often the assumption from teachers and educators that when we introduce the idea of play and even performance into the classroom, that it's not rigorous, mm-hmm. that it's wasting time, that it's not reaching mm-hmm. these curriculum standards that you was talking about mm-hmm. earlier. But when students are in play, when they have like a, a playful mindset, mm-hmm. they're relaxed, mm-hmm. they're more engaged, they're more willing to take risks, mm-hmm. they're more willing to ask questions. And mm-hmm. and this is kind of getting into a conversation about gamified education, yeah. but I think it kind of relates to hip hop and then mm-hmm. just also like arts integration into education, mm-hmm. it's like, there are also clear rules for the genre too. So it's not just like you're introducing it and, you know, all heck is going to break loose and everything is free. Like right. there's rules to a cipher. Right. There's rules to like, what is a bar? What is a stanza? Right. What is a what is a bridge to a song, right? Like right. these genres have 
rules and constructions to them. And so mm-hmm. it allows students when you have, um, you know, a structured medium, mm-hmm. students can feel free within that. And so mm-hmm. it's balancing the structure and the rigor with also the play and the performance aspects of teaching. Too. And, and that goes back to, too, as the teacher in that space, many people will feel uncomfortable because most teachers and, ed- and education is all about controlling, right? Again, in order for me to come in and say, okay, we're going to do, let's say we're going to do a cipher. Let's say we're going to do hip hop. Oh my God, what if they use improper language? Oh my, what if, what, what is this? What, what if this, all these, what is, what is, okay. So what if they do, then what are we going to do? Yeah. Have we created a class norm about what is and what is not acceptable? And if I use profanity in a classroom, is the whole world going to, you know what I mean? Like, so, but you have to be in a space as the educator and create a space for your students to feel like this is what, and we have these discussions, but that often does not what, it's not what happened. And again, when you talk about the play and all those other things, our curriculum and our educational system still says, where do we have time for that? Because we're trying to get these test scores. That's not how it was set up. So while we want, we're trying to bring all these different innovative ways to teach that really aren't new, people just kind of repackage them, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. you think about those teachers that was really doing this, it may not have had a title to it. They were just doing it. Right. So, but the systems and the way that we look at our classroom is not set up that way. We got this, I got X amount of days, got to get this curriculum covered by this, got to do this by this, right? It's like this. Yeah, yeah. Da, 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 all of that and all of, and all of that is a lot of what dominant culture you got x amount of days i need you to cover this curriculum i need you to do this so for the teacher who may want to do something truly may feel like i can't because i got to get this covered or if they feel like they want to do they have leadership that says it's okay if you think outside of the box and do something different mm, because okay. we can come into classrooms where it, it may not be what is in the curriculum, but I'm still learning all the content, teaching the standard. And if I don't have the right administrator, I could get dinged for that. Right. Right. Yeah. And so it's a yeah. level. Yeah. Yeah. And I've been reading about some school districts in states like Texas, for example, they have cameras in the classrooms that are like surveilling not only the students, but the teachers to make sure that they're teaching wow. some of the stuff. Right. And so there are some there are some districts that, like you're saying, like the structural aspects and the leadership that really aren't built for this kind of work. And so it's, I understand that this might not be applicable to the scale at which we're talking about, right? But like right. the little things that you can do to try to integrate those things. Um, I've been removed from like the K through 12 structures for a while because mm-hmm. I work in higher ed, I work at right. a university. And so um, could you dive a little bit deeper into what it's like to teach in a school district and like to have all of these things top of mind? Like how did, how did you balance that as an educator? Like meeting your curriculum standards, um, navigating leadership who might not be as flexible with the type of teaching or open to different types of pedagogy. Like, how did you balance those things as an educator? And and it's really interesting because my, in the K-12 and in higher ed too, we talk about higher ed too. When I come into higher ed and I do things totally different than what is expected from my students. And like, what are you doing? You're not supposed to, anyway. um, (laughs) For me, it's always been about closing my door and doing what's best for the students in front of me. Now, I can't tell people to always do that. Um, I also was a school librarian, and then I was a teacher record for a couple of classes as well. I was fortunate for the most part to always had leadership that trusted what I was doing. And so I was able to do what I needed to do. So I wasn't in the classroom with the teaching, I guess, what we call the core content. So some may not feel that way. 
Um, but there are teachers that I know that do teach the core content. And what relationships do I have? Because I have many administrators that will bring me in to do presentations with their staff about how to infuse this and still teach standards. And I think that's the part, like, how do I still meet all the standards and still infuse this is the work. And that's the part that's often missing, right? Like you're given a curriculum, who's writing the curriculum, Yeah. right? Um, and then I'm supposed to do it. So I would look at curriculum and I had to know my students. So you have to know your students. And I asked my students, I, I don't know if teachers still, I would learn how to read the room. That comes from my speaking. Read the room. You ever been in front of class like, hey, I'm teaching. And once one person once told me teaching, telling ain't teaching. Oftentimes I'm That's telling, right. but I'm not really teaching. Yep. And then I said, well, I told them. <laughs> yeah, but right. did you teach it? <laughs> did yeah, they yeah, exactly. it? Right. And that goes back to engagement. What does engagement look like? Because I can come into a space and we talk about that play and I like to call it organized chaos. And yeah. so much learning could be going on. So, oh, this is hectic. This is crazy. This is too loud. And I can go to another room where it's quiet. And oh, they're so engaged. Engagement does not equal that I am paying attention. Engagement yeah. can also just mean I'm being compliant. There are a lot of yeah. students who know how to play school. They go in, they do what they need to do, they're passing, but they're not really learning. They can pass the test, but have not really learned anything. Yeah. And yeah. so, and, yeah. Yeah. And, and would you say that today in 2024, like when the principals and even school district leaders are looking at whether their teachers are meeting these standards, is it usually measured by standardized tests? Is it measured by like, grades and academic performance like what is like what are the main metrics that district and school leaders look at to be able to determine okay this teacher has met their curriculum standard like what does that look like today? all of that so you have everything from the state's test that come up because the school is gets a report card you know did your school mm-hmm. meet this based upon these many stars then students have their individual tests that they take um and then you have you know, your, of course, your report cards, you know, are they meeting, are they on reading, on grade level for reading, for math? Um, and then we're not even going to talk about when we talk about our multi-language learners, right? So that's another aspect to this work as well. So we look at all of those pieces and is the curriculum being taught? There's pacing guides and every school district is different. Some have um, curriculum that they have purchased and you do this way, some schools create their, districts create their own. It's sometimes a combination of both. But generally, it is based upon state state tests and individual tests where students are going if they're meeting the standard, yeah. right? Um, and that yeah. doesn't mean that if I don't meet a standard, and this is the part of the work, too, is if just because I may not meet that standard or do well in that test doesn't mean that I'm not learning and I'm not having academic growth. So there's this mm-hmm. between growing and growth and then what did I meet a standard? Because yeah. both can be yeah. happening at the same time. Yeah. Now let's go back to, to teaching real quick. I know you're a yeah. education technology expert, right? And so <laughs> I wanted to get your thoughts on um, just technology in the classroom today. And so I guess we could start by, no, did you have something that you want oh, to Oh, no, share? no, I'm, I'm listening. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Um, could you share two technology tools that are helpful wow. for you in the classroom today? Like what are some of the tools that you're using oh. in your teaching uh, today that have been most helpful to you? Um. Wow. There's so many different things. I I am still a big proponent of the power of using cell phones. I mean, I know that many of our school districts still have the one-to-one with the computers, but I think it's about finding the balance with everything. Um, 
And so for me, I'm still a proponent of what apps can I use for time management, for engaging students. I'm still a big proponent about using multimedia in the classroom. Um, I'm still a big proponent of giving students opportunity to create. And right now, like I have not really dug full force into like AI. And I know there's a big, all kinds of discussions around AI. Uh, I still think social media is a powerful tool for teaching and learning. And I know that a lot of districts are suing because of the things that are happening with students. And I am a strong believer that multiple things can be true at the same time. Yes, there are students who are, that social media could do a better job. But I think that at the same time, there are some wonderful things that can come out of social media as well. And I think that's that we, we again, this goes back to Dominic, this binary is either this or it's that. It can be yeah. both. It, it can be both because are we also talking about how many students are using social media to begin businesses who are connecting with other people in a positive light who are learning through. I mean, I've learned so many things through social media when I'm following the right people. And that was part of my library where like when people talk, you don't want to use this like, but are we using it to follow your colleges, seeing what's happening at your university? Like, so there's this balance, but we don't, I feel like we're in a world where it's either this or it's that. It's like, right. And so I think, the power of social media can be great if, again, are we providing the certain structures around it? Are we guiding? We fear what we don't know. So right. we fear we don't understand. And again, what's the narrative that is being given to us? Right now, it's like AI, 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 all these different things that are happening. Absolutely, those things are true. But there's all, have you seen the art that's being created out of AI? Have we been seeing how it's being used for instruct? Like, so there's that part too. So I think um, when we talk about AI, the possibilities are unlimited. But with anything, we also have to be mindful of what it can do. It's like a pen. I always use the pen and now. I could take a pen and write the most beautiful love letter story, but a pen can also be used as a weapon. That's right. Yeah. I could take a knife and carve the most beautiful piece of work. You know, you see the people with they call whittling or whatever, and they use it. Beautiful piece of artwork, but it also could use as a weapon. So I think it's all about the narrative and how we decide to use it and how we educate ourselves around it. So I would definitely say social media is still one of my favorite tools for teaching and ask students what they're doing. That's right. Yeah. And, and I, so I'm young, I'm 24. I often forget that a lot of the professors that I work with are also parents and they are bringing their, a lot of them don't use social media themselves, period. There are some that are like completely removed from it, either from their own fear of trauma or because mm -hmm. their students are not their students, but their own children uh -huh. are having problems with managing social media. And like mm -hmm. you said, two things can exist at the same time and it's getting educators to understand that you putting your own insecurities in front of your students as a barrier to their learning is destructive, like it's harmful, right? And so what, what work can we do to even just bring the complexity to the students? Right. Being able to share to your students, look, um, I know that y'all are on social media a lot and I see the potential in it, but I also see the challenges with it. So how can we set up this classroom environment so that we can leave the, you know, the challenges aside, we're aware of them and we can critically engage with what we see on social media. And then students start to view social media differently because 
the way that our classrooms have been constructed, most students have never been able to integrate social media into their learning. Or if they try to, they've been punished for it. And so even redefining it for those students and them getting to think to themselves, oh, I could use this differently. Yeah. I could like quote podcasts in my discussion yeah. post this week. Like I can I can <laughs> take a, a screenshot of this post that I saw on, on Instagram and upload it to to Canvas or Blackboard or whatever and you know engage in that way. And so it's making students aware that this is even possible to them. And like I love what you said that social media is is 100 percent a learning tool. And as adults, as as parents, the parents that I've talked to, we can let our fears around it and the negative outweigh the positive aspects of it. And I, and I think, like like you said, like, how do we do it? Because again, it's like, what have I been exposed to? Because it still goes back to self. I teach my culture first and then curriculum. So if I have a fear of social media, what have I been taught to believe about social media? What have I been taught about anything? So when you talked about how do I do it, like I used to do a lesson called hashtag activism because I was trying to teach my students that yes, social media also can be used as a tool. If we think about something like Black Lives Matter, um, the Me Too movement, all that was done during social media with a hashtag, the power of the hash, that's a teaching tool, right? And Absolutely. so how can we, but I have to recognize that. And also as the educator, if I'm not comfortable, I need to say that. And I said, well, help me understand why it's so important to you, Jordan, you using social media, have conversations. I like, yeah. I be honest, like I fear it. Like there were certain things like, I don't know about this y'all. Help, help Ms. Johnson understand why I need to, okay, well, let me talk to you about, and then we have this conversation, like, okay. And it's about perspective taking. Like I may not want to do it. I may not need to understand it, but just being open to the idea of it. I'm not here to change yeah. minds. Let me just yeah. be open to the idea. Maybe I'm gonna let you lead a lesson on how to use social media. Talk to me how you're using social media. Talk to me about a podcast you listen to. Share with me X, Y, and Z. Oh, I can use this? So again, it still goes back to that work starting with the educator of like being open and honest. Um, and some people are 10 toes down. <laughs> they 10 toes down. And yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, it's a challenge, but I think there's always a window for opportunity. If I lead into going back to we said the cultural capital, that currency, that wealth of my students, whether I'm K-12, whether I'm higher ed, um, giving opportunities to co-construct knowledge in a space is yeah. the way to do this. Yeah, and you and you named something really powerful. I want to ask a follow-up question before mm -hmm. we transition to our hip hop trivia. Okay. Do do are teachers having those conversations? Like the conversations that you mentioned about oh, I'm fearful about this. Can you talk to me about it? Like, what do those conversations look like? Does it happen at professional development days? Does it just happen when we're standing outside of our homeroom classes and like we're waiting for students to trickle in? Like, do our teachers actually having those conversations and what opportunities are there for teachers to learn from each other about these critical I, I believe those conversations are happening, but I think there also has to be avenue and opening up to have the conversation, right? Um, in, in my work, it, whether it's having the conversation around social media or how do I have a conversation about race? I don't feel comfortable having those conversations. Meaning also I have to be vulnerable enough and honest enough to say, I'm not comfortable talking about X, Y, and Z. I don't understand. That opens up a level of vulnerability that someone may not feel comfortable. So when I say that, that I'm not vulnerable and I want to learn more, then I need to be in a space where someone says, well, let's talk about that. Do I have relationships with my students? Do I have relationship with my administration to say, hey, I really want to try this. 
will you support me in this or whatever the case may be. So I do believe those conversations are happening because when I travel doing PDs and keynotes and stuff, people always like, well, how do you do that? I really want to do this, but Mm, and, yeah. and do that, and, and do that, then it comes out right because I thought about it, but I didn't know. Sometimes they're not who's in your silo, who's in your circle, right? Because sometimes we're in a circle of people that you might want to try something new and they don't, and you may not even want to share, even as adults. Peer pressure, <laughs> yeah, that's right. right. Yeah, thank you so much for that. Uh, for that great answer, Dr. Johnson. We're going to take a quick break, okay. and then after this, we're going to have some fun with our hip hop trivia. All right. If you want to equip your students with the skills needed to create a positive school culture, then I want to tell you about Self Talks. Self Talks is the student success program that is transforming high school and college students throughout the country. You might be familiar with social emotional learning programs or career readiness curriculum, but what makes Self Talks unique is how it combines content on academic success, equity and inclusion, student leadership, and mental health for students. Students might learn effective study strategies but what if mental health struggles are stopping them from becoming academically engaged? They might earn leadership opportunities or student employment positions, but what frameworks are they learning to build programs and initiatives that serve all students in the school community? That is why having conversations about how success, equity, leadership, and flourishing intersect is so important. And the research shows that when students are thriving in all of these areas, it leads to personal well-being as well as their professional success after graduation. Self-Talks is fully customizable to your school or district's needs. There's no cookie-cutter content, and every Self-Talk starts with a needs assessment with your leaders to remove your specific barriers to student success. There are no boring lectures, it's PBIS and Castle aligned, and it's informed by the science of teaching and learning, the stuff that actually works. So if you're looking to take your students to new heights this semester, visit jdspeaks.com slash self-talks. And we are back and we have a special edition of our trivia today and it is hip hop mm -hmm. edition since we have a hip hop expert with us. <laughs> I expert, that's Jordan's words, those are Jordan's oh, words. <laughs> Uh, but uh, for today's trivia, I'm going to share a few rules with you. So there are going to be five questions. Mm -hmm. uh, there's two points per question. So each mm -hmm. question is worth two points. If you get it wrong, you don't lose any points. You just don't get the two points. Okay. Um, your goal is to get to five points. Okay. And some of the questions allow for a hint. <laughs> but if you use the hint, you only get one point. Right. So I'll be, oh, I'll be reinforcing, reinforcing these rules <laughs> as we go. But, can uh, I phone a friend? Can I phone a friend? No pressure. <laughs> we, uh, we might we might have to add uh, Chat GPT into the mix to yeah. see if uh, some AI can help us out. But uh, I'm sure we'll be fine, though. I'm sure we'll be fine. Are you ready with the first question? Okay, let's go. All right, let's go. Uh, question number one. Mm -hmm. In LL Cool J's hit. In LL's Cool J's uh, hit. I'm going to knock you out. <laughs> what were LL's first words on the song? First words on the song? Don't How does he start back. this song? Yes, that, that is correct. That is correct. You got it. See? Okay. See, all right. Easy. I'm like, wait a minute. Making me stressy. Okay. And I got, <laughs> and I got a photo of LL, so I love him. Yes. 
Oh, awesome, awesome. Okay, we got two right. points on that. As long as I get at least one right, I won't feel like a complete fool. Okay, all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, all right, question number two. In 1980, Sugar Hill Gang released Rapper's Delight, which mm-hmm. is widely regarded as the first hip-hop single to ever release. Mm-hmm. But what was the name of Sugar Hill Gang's first studio album? We're not talking about Rapper's Delight. So that was the song. I don't know what their first studio album was. Would you like to to utilize one of your, uh, <laughs> your hints? So, so, yeah, would you like a hint? Okay, Sugar Hill Gang's first... Uh, yeah, we guess we'll use mine, Sugar Hill Gang. Okay. Different now, album. with the hint... Now, with the hint, I'll give you three multiple uh, choices. I'll give you three choices, then you can choose okay. one of the multiple choice questions. They make it a little okay. easier. So, A, Eighth Wonder, B, Living in the Fast Lane, or okay. C, Jump on It. Hmm. Jump. Jump. He said jump on it. I can run through them again. Yep. Run through them again. Run through them again. Yep. So, is it A, Eighth Wonder? B, living in the fast lane, or C, jump on it? Hmm, I'm going to go with, I'm guessing, I'm going to go with jump on it. That is incorrect. Boom, 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 boom. The, answer is, <laughs> <laughs> the, the answer was Eighth Wonder. Okay, um, Eighth Wonder. If you okay. haven't seen the album cover, it is a fantastic album cover too. You'll never see an album cover like that I'm <laughs> again sure, on a hip hop. I'm, sure, I'm sure I've seen the the um the album cover. Oh, that's right, because they was like with Egypt and all that other stuff on it. They had yes, that Egyptian yes. look. Okay, yeah. eight wonder. That's right. That's right. Okay. All right. Question three. Okay. We're fast forward into to 2024 with this question. Uh oh. Last month, Nicki Minaj dropped the song <laughs> Bigfoot. <laughs> a diss track that broke the internet for the line, quote, bad girl, she likes six foot. I call her Bigfoot. The girl fell off and I said, get up on your good foot. End quote. What is the name of the artist that was dissed in this song? Name of the artist that was dissed in the song. Uh, what was it? Um, I'm thinking. I haven't listened to Nikki this month. Give me a hint. Okay, I, we got we going back to our multiple choices. So, is it A Cardi B? Probably Cardi. <laughs> <laughs> it was probably Cardi. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna still run through them though. B, yeah. Megan The Stallion or C Lil Kim? I think it was Cardi. That is incorrect. Oh no, Megan The Stallion. That's right. Yeah, because the foot line was in reference to the shooting. Yeah, Yeah, I do. (laughs) Okay, I'm two for two. Yeah, no problem, no problem. All right, so we are on question number. We are on question number four. All right, so we got two more, uh, including this one. Name as many members of the Wu Tang Clan as you can. You earn a half a point for every member that you name. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, as many as I can. 
Well, we know this method. Yeah, that's one. Um, GZA, Gaza. Yeah, that's right. That's two. Um, RZA, RZA. Yeah, that's three. Um, oh, the late, um, ODD. Yep, that's four. You're doing great. Okay, um, one minute, one minute, one minute. Master, master, um, master, ki- master, kill- master killer. Yes, that's right. Yep. Okay, okay. That's and, then it was, and then it was Ghostface, right? Six. You killing okay. it right now. Still a few more if you want to. <laughs> I, to put, I, gotta, I gotta redeem myself after the last two. <laughs> um, who am I missing? How many? How many am I missing? Did I say Method Man? You did not say Method Man. I don't. Oh well, I think you did say Method. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Raekwon. Raekwon. Yeah. Right. He's one of them, and you didn't say Raekwon. Okay. So you right. got seven of them. Okay, I'm that good. That is very impressive. I, I, I'm good. I'm, I, I'm good. I, I, I had to redeem after I missed the easy ones, right? Okay. <laughs> well, you, you got three and a half points with that one. So you, okay. you won the game with the five oh, okay. points. So you surpassed Woo! five points. You have survived the hip-hop <laughs> trivia gauntlet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and we we can go through the fifth question if you want to, just okay, for fun. Sure, why not? Long time, long time, come out looking like too damn like. Oh uh, no, no, not at <laughs> all. You did right. great. Um, um, question number five. Okay. In the 1997 song, "Not Tonight," <laughs> we saw an all-star cast not of tonight. Lil Kim, okay, featuring Missy Elliott, the Brat, Left Eye, and Angie Martinez. The song also appeared on a movie soundtrack in that same year. What is the name of the movie? Oh, is that Moulin Rouge? It is not. No, that is. Could you say not tonight? The song is titled "Not Tonight," which released in 1997. 1997, not tonight. What movie was that? Not tonight. 97, 97, not tonight. Name the artist again. Yep. So this featured Lil Kim. Missy Elliott, the Brat, Left Eye, and Angie Martinez. Angie Martinez. Now I can give you some choices if it's helpful. Okay. I'm listening. Okay. All right. So is it A, nothing to lose? B, okay. men in black? Or C, soul food? Oh, what soul food? <laughs> it, had be, it had to be the first, but not 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 for what was the first one you said? Yeah, not, nothing, nothing to lose. Nothing to lose. Yep, and that's correct. Yep, nothing that to lose. I don't that know. I, I heard I heard Moulage Rouge because I would think about Little Kim, and then when they did, mm, yeah, yeah. What well, you talking about? Like, is was that from uh, Lady Marmalade? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was that yeah. Lady Marmalade? Yeah, it, yeah. It. but Missy Elliott was in it. Okay, all right. Yeah, I think yeah. I survived. <laughs> no, you more than survived. You killed it with the. Yeah, that uh, that Wu Tang question came in uh, came in clutch. That was crazy. That was awesome. Okay. 
Well, Dr. Johnson, before we leave today, I would love for you to talk a little bit more about uh, Cypher for Change. Can you tell us a little bit more sure. about the work that you're doing? Um, so Cypher for Change is a new startup, like it'll be having this official launch probably this summer. Um, but Cypher for Change is my, what I like to call my DEI. I'm the co-founder of Cypher for Change. So basically Cypher for Change is an, a DEI organization where we look at using professional development to begin having conversations, but it's grounded in hip hop. So I use the elements and ethos of hip hop to drive professional development and learning around DEI issues. So I grounded in the four principles of hip hop, which are peace, love, unity, and having fun, and knowledge of self. And I consider myself the chief MC, chief catalyst for change, um, because all this work starts with a, a conversation. And so when we're talking about equity work, it also talks about knowing who I am in the work. And using those ideas of having peace, working together, and having fun. I mean, we had a conversation earlier, you know, we talked about this work is hard work, um, it's draining work, but there's also joy in the work, right? And we can have fun while we're doing this as well. And so that is my organization and um, business ciphers for change. Um, everything from keynotes to presentations, student engagement, and I still love working with students. That is still my my passion. Um and I hope that eventually what will happen, I'll have my whole nonprofit around that as well, where we teach through hip hop. Everything will be taught through hip hop. And it won't I be going it. to school, it'll be after school. So we don't have to worry about all those other things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's fantastic. And where and where can people find you? Um, you can find me your regular places. Um, my website is slowly coming up, which is jaquetajohnson.com, which is the old site. You can find me on Instagram at Jaquetta Johnson. I'm on Twitter. Well, no longer Twitter, excuse me, at X. <laughs> we all still call it Twitter, though. That's fine. I, mean, I, 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 I haven't heard a single person really refer to it as that. I feel it's like we all holding on, on to Twitter. Yeah, yeah. I'm holding on. Because it's so fun. You can find me on X, which always made me think about Malcolm X. But that's mm. a... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, at According to Joe. And you can always email me um, at jaquetta.johnson at gmail.com. And I look forward to hearing from anyone who wants to reach out and have discussions. And thank you for this opportunity. So this has been great. Anytime we can talk about hip hop and education and helping students win, I'm down for it. That's right. Thanks for joining, Dr. Johnson. This has been Help Students Win, and I'll talk to y'all next week.